This is a fourth hand production. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental I don't know planes that they're and police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. Welcome to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Josh. And here we are yet again. <laughs> <clears throat> Gonna say the artist formerly known as Josh. Yeah, that doesn't have that doesn't have quite the same ring to it. That'll be on Thursday. You got to come <laughs> up with a cool symbol, dude, like a schwizzle stick or something to represent your name. Otherwise, it's just uh, not right. It'll probably just be like a really bad adolescent drawing of a penis. <laughs> I was literally just about to say it'd just be like a stick figure with a big penis, like a penis rocket ship <laughs> draw with crayon, I'm, crayon. I, I'm glad we were kind of on that same uh, wavelength there. Well, it's like know. in Superbad where he's talking about having that condition where he can't help but draw dicks on everything. I just talk dicks yeah. all the time. All day long, I drew dicks on every notebook I had. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because I actually have a friend um, that just is constantly drawing dicks. I'm sure we all have that friend. I'm sure that's not. Yeah, no. they might even be the same friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. I won't, I, out, I, I won't out him. I feel like I've got a couple and uh it, i think it's something you grow out of but like we were definitely in our late 20s early 30s when that shit was still happening mm-hmm. oh um yeah he's like 35 now and it just it hasn't stopped penis is a so, fine you know, you know i mean is he good at it are they he are is they good looking he, they are actually very artistic penises <laughs> so <laughs> i mean then the man's got a talent <laughs> Listeners, sorry for the banter on the penises right off the get-go. I, I'm not sure where we went down there, but it's still funny. It's <laughs> yeah. pretty hilarious, uh, actually. Yeah, I don't really know how we got on that topic, but you know, it's always a good topic. <laughs> yeah, can't go wrong. Can't go wrong yeah. at all. That reminds me of Big Mouth. God, I love that show. It's so fucking funny. Ah, uh, anyway. So yeah, welcome. I stopped. I stopped watching that. Did I watched you? like that gym teacher just drove me crazy. I couldn't watch it anymore. Mm. I think in the second season, he was on it like way more. And I was just like, nah, <laughs> they got rid of him. I think three, he's not really on there as much. So I think, um, that's, you know, that's I think good. maybe I'll watch it again. Yeah. Pick it back up, you know, see what you can do. But, um, yeah, but anyway, yeah, well, here we are talking about penises and, uh, what can go better with penises rather than our topic that we're going to dive into in a little bit, uh, penises and pirates. I mean, they're yeah. both rhyme, which I think is kind of cool. So pirate penises, <laughs> yar. Yeah. Do they have an iPad? Yeah. Not sure. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I know it's not, you know, paranormal or, you know, usually kind of along the subjects that we talk about, but I read this book called Under the Black Flag and it was just fascinating to me. Um, the real life history of pirates and, you know, we always romanticize them. So, you know, I decided, fuck it. I'm going to do a write up on pirates and y'all are going to like it. Or you're not, and then that's yeah. fine too. If you yeah. don't like cool shit, go ahead and skip to the next, I don't know, four episodes from now, because this <laughs> yeah. is a doozy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, also you're fucking lame. 
You know what? Honestly, I, I'll be I'll lay I'll lay my penis on the table here. So I think uh, number one, no pirates isn't really necessarily supernatural, but number one, the topic's awesome. It's cool. It's something that if you didn't have a childhood fantasy of sharing it with pirate, then I don't know what childhood you had. And in the midst of all this other bullshit that's surrounding us with what's surrounding us, the COVID, the riot, and everything else, it was like, you know what? Let's take a breather and let's talk about something really cool and sexy and funny. And that's pirates. And I, I don't know. I think it'll fit good. I think it's good. Yeah. You, John, put a lot of work into it too. I don't think you realized how much work it was going to be till you, you wrapped up into it. And I was like, oh, holy shit, dude. I like yeah, I, right there. Yeah. I, I didn't mean for it to uh go that long, but I mean there was just I actually left out like so much information too that I was like, I need to just stop and this is good enough. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely but, cool. Yeah. So anyway, um quick shout outs to uh, our patrons. Thank you for being patrons still. And again, we said it before, but if you um you know, if you find a need for any money to go to a, a better organization or something more charitable, by all means we understand. But if you're hanging on to hang on, we appreciate it. You know, hopefully we give you guys content where we need. Thank you for all the other listeners that are out there. Uh, and thank you for the YouTube comments, by the way. So most of you know we have a kind of a side thing that we've been doing for what about two months now, boys, with a skinwalker ranch. Um, mm-hmm. going well, good comments on YouTube, um, have some people that recommended some things, some videos to share, uh, on just highlighting what's going on. I mean, all in all, we've had a lot of kind of things in the basket, but I think we got most of it sorted out. Um, it's nice to have something kind of just between us cause we've had interviews and things like that. Not saying we're not going to continue to have them, but this is nice just to have this reprieve. And so this but, is us letting our hair down a little bit, you know? Yeah. So, letting it loose. We're cutting loose. Out. I'm not wearing pants. Donald Duck in it? Uh, sweatpants. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, well. That I'm usually, because it's usually in the evening when we record, and I'm like, well, I'm not going anywhere after this, so I'm usually in, like, just PJs with, like, a decent T-shirt on top, so. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my mode. That's my modus operandi, usually. Another if, that, if quarantine lasts a whole lot longer, we're just going to start doing this in the old bathrobe. <laughs> I had to force myself to start getting dressed at some point. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. See, so. That's funny. I'm vice versa. I'm even when I was working from home for that brief amount of time, I still was like, you know what? I have to have a semblance of something around me of work. So I'd still take a nice, put a nice work shirt on, get some khakis on, go stand in front of the breakfast bar and do meetings. At least, you know, try to have some kind of civilized thing about me. But it didn't last well, long. Well, you're better than me, Shane. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying <laughs> I, I'm paranoid because I don't know how big the camera what if the camera falls or the laptop falls and they can see me with my, you know, penis hanging out with no pants. There would be that. So be that girl that went pee on the Zoom meeting with her work. <laughs> right, exactly. God. Anyway. I uh I just interviewed for a new position at my work and uh it was a Zoom interview like this, so I was wearing a blazer and a button-up shirt and then shorts. Fucking <laughs> LeBron Jamesing it. I like it. That's I like funny. it. Yeah, I'm gonna try and bring that kind of business casual back into back into the workplace. Bring I think you should. I think I think you could pull it off. You can make a trend. If anybody can make something trend, you can make a trend. Yeah. So anyway. You guys got anything else to cover before we dive uh dive down into the plank? No, I uh, think I think I'm ready. We ready? All yeah, right. let's do this, everybody. We're gonna get into the world of pirates. Open the gates.
Well, if you're like me and millions of others around the world, then you probably have had some type of fascination with pirates since you were a little kid. Uh, my first introduction to pirates was the animated Disney film Peter Pan. I love that cartoon growing up. I always wanted to be one of the lost boys that fought the infamous Captain Hook and his weaselly little sidekick, Mr. Spee, along with their crew of deplorables. Alongside Peter Pan, we would fight and win the battle of the day and then retire back to our tree houses in the forest of Neverland where we would fall asleep and then wake up and do it all over again. Through Robert Louis Stevenson's classic novel, Treasure Island, and movies such as Peter Pan or the cinematic masterpiece Hook, pirates have been glorified and cemented in our imaginations as swashbuckling, song-singing, misguided adventurers. With patches over their eyes and wooden legs with a cutlass and parrot to accompany the seafaring delinquents. But these depictions of pirates in these incredible works of fiction couldn't be further from the actual reality of the lives these men and some women lived. Today, in this episode, we are going to take you back a few centuries to the golden age of piracy and try and see if we can separate the romance from the reality of life among the pirates. The good old age of piracy took place in the early part of the 1700s, but it is not to say that pirates didn't exist before that time. The world has been terrorized by piracy since the early days of civilized man. There were Greek pirates and Roman pirates, and hundreds of years of piracy when the Vikings and Danes wreaked havoc among the coastlines of Europe. England was also infested with pirates and smugglers during Tudor times, which took place from 1485 to 1603. And we can't forget about the Dutch pirates, referred to as sea beggars, or water gizen, who played a small but essential role in the history of the Netherlands. Piracy was, and is, to this day, illegal. A pirate, obviously, hopefully anyone listening, is someone who robs and plunders the sea, just for a definition. But there was another type of pirate that operated under the guise of nationalism and had legal papers from their motherland to attack and plunder ships of a rival country of the time. These men were called privateers. Their license to commit piracy was a document called a Letter of Mark and Reprisal. This letter gave pirates ships carte blanche to attack the enemy during wartime to recoup any losses the merchant vessel might have suffered. Pirate wasn't the only nomenclature used to describe these savages of the sea either. Pirates based in the Mediterranean were referred to as corsairs, or their brethren far off in the Caribbean were labeled as buccaneers. Most of the sources of information on the pirates' way of life and all their dastardly deeds were obtained through trial documents, naval logbooks, reports from colonial governors, and depositions of captured pirates and their victims. There is also a treasure trove of information in Captain Charles Johnson's book entitled A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates. The first edition of Captain Johnson's book was published on May 14, 1724, and also just goes by the title A General History of Pirates. The pirate's life was an extreme and unforgiving life. The average age of a pirate crew usually consisted of young men in their early 20s. Their youthfulness was al almost a near necessity because of the physically demanding work that was required of the crew while on board their respective sloops. These men had to be capable of sailing in all types of weather, and that required agility, fitness, stamina, physical strength, and an ability to put up with extreme discomfort above and below decks. These men had to deal with sopping wet, flapping canvas 100 feet above the pitching deck, and had to endure hauling on ropes at all hours of the day and night. Uh, and they could be cold or wet for days on end, while on the dank, moist, and quite frankly, completely miserable deck of the sloop. The pirates participated democracy near 100 years 
before the French Revolution. The captain of the sloop was voted on by the crew. He could also be voted out as well if the crew were unhappy with his leadership. The captain did have absolute say in times of battle, though. The crew also voted on their intended voyages and if they were going to attack another ship or raid a coastal village. Before any new voyage was about to begin or a new captain was about to be voted in, a set of articles was drawn up. These articles regulated the distribution of plunder, the amount one was to receive if wounded in battle, and set out the basic rules of day-to-day life while on board the ship, and the punishments for those who did not adhere to the rules. Every member of the ship was required to sign the articles. The articles differed from ship to ship, but they all followed a similar line. There are several examples of the pirate's articles that have been preserved through time, but Captain Bartholomew's articles are the most comprehensive and worth reading in full because they give an amazing insight into the pirate's way of life. Article 1. Every man has a vote in affairs of the moment, has equal title to the fresh provisions or strong liquors, and any time seized, and may use them at pleasure unless a scarcity makes it necessary for the good of all to vote a retrenchment. Article 2. Every man to be called fairly in turn by list on board of prizes because, over and above their proper share, they were on these occasions allowed a shift of clothes, but if they defrauded the company of their value of a dollar in plate, jewels, or money, marooning was their punishment. Marooning was where they put a man on some desolate or uninhabited island with a gun, a few shots, a bottle of water, and a bottle of powder to either live or starve to death. If the robbery was only betwixt one another, they contented themselves with slitting the ears and nose of him that was guilty and set him on shore, not in an uninhabited place, but somewhere where he was sure to encounter hardships. Article three, no person to game at cards or dice for money. Article four, the lights and candles will be put out at eight o'clock at night. If any of the crew after that hour still remain inclined for drinking, they were to do it on the open deck. So note here, Captain Bartholomew didn't drink, which I find crazy for a pirate, and he thought this would discourage his crew from also imbibing on alcohol. Article 5. To keep the peace, pistols, and cutlasses clean and fit of service. And Article 6. And the I don't know why I put these all in numer- uh, Roman numeral numbers, because I don't <laughs> even know what the hell those are. <laughs> it's all good, bro. So... Article 6, no boy or woman to be allowed amongst them. <clears throat> if any man were to be found seducing any of the latter sex and carried her to sea, disguised, he was to suffer death. Article 7, to desert the ship or their quarter in battle was punished with death or marooning, which we'll get into later. Article 8, no striking one another on board, but every man's quarrels to be ended on shore at sword or pistol. Article 8, no man to talk of breaking up their way of living till each had shared 1,000 pounds. If in order to this any man should lose a limb or become a cripple in their service, he was to have $800 out of the public stock and for lesser hurts proportionately. Oof, tough. Article 10, the captain and quartermaster to receive two shares of a prize. The master, boatswain, and gunner, one share and a half, and other officers, one and a quarter. Article 11, the musicians to have rest on the Sabbath day, but the other six <laughs> days and nights, none without special favor. Of course. <laughs> it gets boring There's with some, no music. That's true. That's probably actually a really important job on there. But I'm, I mean, those guys were always so busy doing everything anyway. So, 
But you may ask, who were some of the real flesh and blood men that sailed the high seas while they sacked and plundered any unsuspecting merchant ship who happened to cross paths with these bloodthirsty savages? Let's go back all the way to the 16th century and take a look at the famous Sir Francis Drake. Uh, he is considered the greatest British seaman of the Elizabethan age. While not a pirate in the sense that Blackbeard was, Drake did commit acts of piracy, but instead of flying under a flag of skull and crossbones, he proudly flew the flag of England. England was at war with Spain in the late 16th century, and if you were an enemy of England, you were an enemy of Drake's. Nombre de Dios lies in the corner of a bay on the Isthmus of Panama, and in the 1570s was a main treasure port for the Spaniards. Twice a year, a fleet of Spanish galleons would anchor in the bay and load up with gold and silver, which had been carried thousands of miles by ship and by mule trains from the distant mountains of Peru and Bolivia. In 1571, Drake set sail for a reconnaissance mission around the area disguised as a Spanish merchant ship. While on his secret mission, he was able to spot the location of the king's treasure house and found a tucked away cove which would provide safe anchorage on his return expedition. He returned to Nombre de Dios in 1572 with two small ships named the Pasco and the Swan, along with a crew of 73 men. The crew dropped anchor in the cove that Drake found on his mission the year prior and began to make their way to the shore via canoes. They arrived on the beach around 3 a.m., but things quickly went awry. Spanish soldiers along with the town were alerted to the invasion because Drake thought it was a good idea to bang on drums and have people play the goddamn trumpet <laughs> while they were advancing to the king's treasure house. <laughs> Sounds smart. Sounds real smart. I feel like they didn't think that one through. Like, no, no. Yeah, they didn't really. Hey, guys. It's like, hey, guys, guys? Let's, make, let's make as much fucking possible noise as we possibly can while we're about to go steal this guy's treasure. <laughs> but you know so so much for a sneak attack um drake was shot in the thigh early on in the attack on the bay but that didn't stop him he continued to lead his men to the treasure house not only was drake bleeding profusely from his gunshot wound it just so happened that an intense thunderstorm rolled in and made his men's weapons useless from all the rain still the men pressed on but when they finally made it to the treasure house they found it to be completely empty the last treasure fleet had sailed away just six weeks prior to their invasion of the bay. <laughs> How bummed would you be? <laughs> it's like, whoa, oh, man. Just bleeding that's profusely awesome. from your thigh. Like, oh, man. That's, that's my luck. Uh, Drake was no ordinary man, though, and uh, his will to succeed and rob the Spanish blind had not deterred. Drake returned with his remaining crew to the ships in the cove where he began a speedy recovery. Once healed, he and his men tried for a second time to obtain riches through acts of piracy. They attempted to ambush a mule train that they knew to have been fully stocked, but one of his men had gotten drunk and made a premature attack on a few donkeys that weren't carrying anything of real value. This alerted the rest of the caravan, and they made their way to the safety before Drake and his crew could plunder the caravan's immense treasures. Drake was lucky about, or sorry, Drake's luck was about to change, though. Thank God, because what the fuck, dude? Yeah. <laughs> How bad are these guys are pirating? Uh, Pretty after, bad. After a successful raid on the town of uh, Venta Cruces, he met a group of French privateers. The Frenchman informed Drake that three caravans of 190 mules that were making their way to Nombre de Dios, some 20 miles from the town. The Englishmen, along with the Frenchmen, attacked the caravan and were finally successful. This raid made Drake a very rich man. They found that every mule was carrying at least 300 pounds of silver, dear God, 
Uh, <laughs> Poor <laughs> this fucking is just mules. What, They're all bow-legged Yeah, and no shit. shit. <laughs> Uh, this is what just what Drake and his men needed. Uh, with Drake's treasure safely on board his two ships, he and his crew made their way back to England. The treasure Drake captured from the mule train and his other raids amounted to some 15 tons of silver ingots and around 100,000 pounds in gold coins. Jesus. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That is a lot, a lot of money. money. Even um, right now, I would take yeah. 100,000 pounds in gold coins right now. Yeah, that... Yeah. Wow. After returning to his home country of England and making the queen wet with other riches he brought back. <laughs> Splish. Saucy queen. Uh, Drake set sail again, attacking any Spanish vessel he could find, along with raiding any Spanish settlements he would pass along the way. He continued to stack his riches in his new ship, the Golden Hind. The Golden Hind was the second ship in history to sail around the world since Magellan died during his pioneering voyage. And since Magellan died during his pioneering voyage, Drake was the first commander to complete the circumnavigation. It was an astonishing achievement, and it made Drake a national hero. Wow, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame his, his persistence finally paid off, so there's something to be said for some persistence yeah. there, man. I feel like if I got shot in the leg, I'd be like, eh, all right. I going home. I'm done. I'm, I'm yeah, going home. There's mac and cheese waiting for me. I'm just gonna. <laughs> we're not gonna do this. It, it's a Tuesday. Let's reconfigure and just start this all over again. <laughs> I wonder what year macaroni and cheese was invented. You don't think it was in uh, you know what the 1700s here? F- 1572. Well, craft's been around. Maybe. <laughs> I doubt it very rarely. Anyway, very interesting. And Jesus Christ, those mules, fucking pounds of gold. Oh my god. Yeah, you're not going to use them again. Kind of a done deal. But anyway, Mm. um, folks, we're going to continue with uh, swashbuckling stories after this break. Stand by. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality. Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than strange uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. Sir Henry Morgan was born around the year 1635 and is one of the most famous and well-respected buccaneers of his time. Having left school early to follow in his uncle's footsteps to be a great soldier, he joined an expeditionary force under the command of General Venables and Admiral Penn, which was dispatched from England in 1654 with the goal of sacking the island of Hispaniola, which in modern day, this is actually Haiti and the Dominican Republic. The expedition set sail with nearly 7,000 men, but could not overtake the island due to the fierce opposition from the Spanish, poor leadership, and deadly tropical diseases. So, you know, there's that. Unable to complete their initial goal of the expedition to sack the island of Hispaniola, Venable and Penn set their sights on the smaller, less defended island of Jamaica. They overtook the island with ease because of the sheer numbers the expedition possessed, and thus the British settlement was set up and an important base of operations for the Royal Navy and privateers was established. Morgan spent the next few years taking part in raids on Spanish towns in Central America. Records indicate that Morgan became a captain on a ship that took part in several successful raids 
with commissions given him by the governor of Jamaica. Morgan led several more successful raids and proved himself a formidable leader. When Edward Mansfield, the leader of the privateers, was put to death by the Spaniards in Havana, Morgan was the natural successor. At the age of 32, he became the Admiral of the Brethren of the Coast. That loose association of pirates and privateers will make up the body of men who came to be known as Buccaneers. The Buccaneers. I'm, 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 I'm pretty uh, impressed that we haven't done that just overboard. I've been trying. Know, I've jokes. been trying to hold it back. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying as well. But uh, after the attacks by Drake in 1572, the Spaniards had moved their treasure port to the town of Portobello, just a few miles down the coast. Morgan learned of the weaknesses of Portobello, despite efforts from the Spanish to make it appear like the town was well guarded. The two forts in town were, in fact, poorly guarded, and Morgan would take full advantage of this fact by attacking from the landward side and overwhelming the town. In July of 1668, Morgan left Jamaica with a fleet of 12 small ships to the Bay of Boca del Tora to the west of Portobello. There, he and his army of 500 buccaneers canoed under the veil of darkness until they were just three miles from the town. The men then trekked the rest of the way on foot. Their first goal was to overtake the lookout tower that was only guarded by five men. The guards bravely fired shots at the buccaneers, but none of them hit their marks and were quickly overtaken. Those shots, however, alerted the other guards in the castles, and Morgan's sneak attack was foiled. Flag that, sorry. <sighs> that had little effect on Morgan's plan, and he ordered his men to charge and attack. Shouting and screaming, the men barreled towards the castle. Again, the guards in the castle tried to shoot their cannons at the invaders, but their efforts were futile. The guards in the case only got off one shot, and it sailed effortlessly over the buccaneers' heads and sailed into obscurity as not one of the invading men were injured by these efforts. <laughs> by this time, the crew of buccaneers had made their way into town, and they began to terrorize the citizens of Portobello. They rounded up the people of town and shuffled them into a nearby church while the other buccaneers picked off the guards of the castle walls one by one with their long-shot muskets. By dawn, the buccaneers had overtaken the town of Portobello. Their next mission was to capture the forts. The first fort to be seized was named San Geronimo. At first, the soldiers in the fort refused to surrender, but they soon changed their minds after they saw a group of terrifying-looking buccaneers coming their way. I would probably, uh, you know, say fuck it and here you go. Again, mac yeah, and cheese well, is waiting I'm not at signing home. for your money. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Not sorry. Yeah. Um, as Morgan and his men descended upon Santiago Castle, he realized it was a more of a formidable formidable target. Morgan came up with an appalling and quite honestly pretty effective idea to make a human shield with the people of the town, including the mayor of Portobello, oh, the elderly, naturally, <laughs> um, women, and a few friars and nuns. I mean, if you're going to make a human shield, I think that's a pretty good recipe. Just might as well top it off with the nuns. God, this yeah. dude, this dude would fit in well on a mat modern day riot squad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's grab this 75 year old man over here. And oh. so while he was making his uh, human shield, uh, the castle fired a cannon loaded with changed shot and took out one of his men and two friars. That would be the only shot fired from the castle and Morgan overtook the property without any more casualties. Once inside, Morgan hoisted up a red flag to let the remaining buccaneers know that they had been the victors of the day. On the following morning, Henry Morgan sent two men across the harbor to the castle of San Philippe and demanded its surrender. 
The castle was well equipped with ammunition and cannons, but they lacked food because that was brought over daily from Portobello. The commander of the castle was resolute to hold fast his castle, but eventually changed his mind after he saw nearly 200 buccaneers armed to the teeth coming for him. Eventually, the English flag was flown high above the castle, signaling to the warships waiting outside that the battle had been won and to swoop into the harbor and take anchor. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Not bad. I think he fared a lot better than Drake did on his first outing. I think so too, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe it was just, you know, a little bit more uh, clandestine as they were, you know, s- taking rowboats and sneaking. They weren't playing the trumpet and <laughs> getting hammered and- you know, that, maybe that you know you learn from your mistakes. So. Maybe the marching, maybe. maybe the marching band technique isn't uh, isn't what you do for attacking. You know, yeah. On hindsight, you know. maybe we shouldn't uh, get plastered and just play razzmatazz hey, all the way up. Hey to guys, the... why do we have like six guys with trumpets in the band? Uh, do you think that's too much? <laughs> I mean, just saying. Lloyd, shut the hell up. <laughs> we just got this gig. <laughs> uh So after Henry Morgan had captured the town, he sent a letter to the president of Panama. He told him that he would burn Portobello to the ground if he did not pay a ransom of 350,000 pesos. John Augustine rejected the demand and replied with his own letter stating, I take you to be a corsair, and I reply that the vassals of the king of Spain do not make treaties with inferior persons. Morgan then replied, although your letter does not deserve a reply, I've sent so many emails that start this way. Although your letter does... <laughs> Although your letter does not deserve... Sorry. Reply... <laughs> that was good. Oh, Jesus. That was, that, that was today, too. So, oh, among many. Anyway. <clears throat> it's nice you're... to see that things don't really change throughout no. history. No, like when you're replying to someone that was shit-talking... You're saying, I know I'm better than this and I should walk the fuck away, but here we go. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Although your letter does not deserve a reply, since you call me a Corsair, I write you these few lines to ask you to come quickly. We are waiting for you with great pleasure and we have powder and ball with which to receive you. (laughs) Damn. All right. (laughs) It's like, come on, bitch. Let's do this. I'll fuck you up. Them's fighting words. Um, the Spanish sent 800 soldiers to reclaim what was theirs, but the army was demoralized by the journey alone. They had to drudge through swamps and deal with torrential rainfall on top of being short on food and powder. By the time the Spanish soldiers reached Morgan, they had nothing left in them and quickly surrendered to the buccaneers, seemingly infinite shot and plethora of warships in the harbor. Don Augustine would eventually end up giving in to Morgan's demands. On August 30, two mil- Sorry. On August 3rd, two mule trains left Panama carrying the ransom. Uh, Morgan and his men were soon in possession of 40,000 pesos in silver coin, 4,000 pesos in gold coin, several chests of silver plate, and 27 bars of silver worth 43,000 pesos. Together with the treasure already looted from the town, the buccaneers haul amounted to around 250,000 pesos. Morgan and his men then set sail back to Jamaica where he was greeted with a hero's welcome in Port Royal. The capture of Portobello was one of the most successful amphibious operations of the 17th century. After the multiple attacks on the Spanish towns along the coast of Central America, word arrived in Jamaica that the attacks on Spanish vessels and towns must stop. For the buccaneers, this was bad news, but Morgan was happy with the breathing room he was given with the order of peace. 
He was able to spend time with his wife, and he purchased 836 acres in the parish of Clarendon near Chapelton Village. This area is still called Morgan's Valley to this day. The days of peace did not last long, though. The Queen of Spain soon ordered attacks on the English in the West Indies. A Portuguese corsair called Captain Rivero accepted the challenge and began to attack Jamaican ships, and in 1670 he landed 30 men at Montego Bay on Jamaica's north coast and destroyed most of the houses in the settlement. Captain Rivero was never a real threat to Jamaica, but revenge had to be taken. That is when Henry Morgan received his papers authorizing him to assemble a fleet and attack, seize and destroy an enemy vessel that shall come within his reach. He also had authority to land in the enemy's country and to take and destroy anything that would tend to preservation and quiet of this island. Henry Morgan received his first papers on August 1st, 1670, as he sailed to the Isle of Vaca and assembled the Buccaneers. Morgan had collected no less than 38 ships and 2,000 men. On December 12, 1670, they decided that Panama was to be the target. A week later, the largest buccaneer fleet the Caribbean had ever seen set sail for San Lorenzo at the mouth of the Chagres River. The castle at the mouth of the river was the first task that had to be taken care of. It took three different assaults and heavy loss of life before Morgan was able to fly an English flag over the castle and the remaining army could move onwards towards the city of Panama. Once Morgan and his men finally reached Panama by foot, Don Juan, the president of the city council, had stationed his troops across the road to block the entrance to the city. He had about 1,200 men on foot and 400 men on horseback, but most of Panama soldiers were inexperienced fighters and they were no match for hardened buccaneers. Morgan set his men up in four squadrons and initially wanted to do a frontal assault. <laughs> That's what she said. He realized, though, <laughs> he realized, though, that course of action would result in heavy casualties, so he had one squadron flanked to the side and capture the hill to the right of the city. Don Juan's men thought the buccaneers were retreating, so they began their charge forward along with the horsemen. Don Juan's troops were highly disorganized, and the buccaneers took notice of this right away. Uh, something I think I would fucking pay attention to. <laughs> oh, look, they don't know what they're doing. Let's yeah. do this. <laughs> oh, you're stupid. I get it. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. The French sharpshooters and Morgan's vanguard took aim with deadly accuracy amongst the oncoming horde of horsemen until they had enough and headed back for the city. Meanwhile, Don Juan's foot soldiers were no match for the buccaneers, who easily slaughter man after man in a volley of devastating blows until the remaining soldiers retreated themselves back to the city. Don Juan, however, had one... God, that name. It's Don Juan, <laughs> baby. Don Juan, the tongue twister. Don Juan had a trick up his sleeve, though. He had two herds of oxen that he was going to have stampeding through the town, two of the intruders. The oxen lazily lumbered onto the battlefield and were no more than a minor inconvenience. The, 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 <laughs> yeah, how, how terrifying. Like, yeah. oh, there's a cow coming. Okay. Wait, slow down. The buccaneers yeah. just simply shooed them away. Morgan, <laughs> Morgan, I just could I'm picturing this in my mind. That's what's so yeah. fucking funny about it. You know, it's like, what is he doing now? Oh, there's oxen. Yeah. Oh. Okay. They're just, yeah, and you're just you're like out there for blood. Your adrenaline's pumping, and then you see this your enemy just like send some cows that are just like lazily walking up to you. You're like, what the hell is going? Get out of here, Chuck. What do you think they're doing? You think they're uh, strolling or meandering? I think they're meandering. I've got a good good judgment call on that one. So, yeah. by mid morning, some 500 men lay dead or wounded under the tropical sun. 
The Buccaneers lost only 15 men in the raid. Don Juan made sure if he was going to lose a battle, the pirates would not win. While Morgan was still battling to get the city of Don the city, Don Juan had loaded up all the ships of the treasure of the city and sent them sailing. He also stockpiled gunpowder all over the city. The slaves of Panama were ordered to burn everything if the city was going to be sacked. When all was said and done, the great treasure port of Panama was merely a city of rubble and ash. The only thing left standing was the stone tower of the cathedral and few other public buildings made of stone. The pirates' loot was extremely underwhelming, which even makes it worse. At the end of the day, each man only walked away with 15 pounds because of the large number of men in the fleet. Some accused Morgan of cheating them out of their share, which he adamantly denied. The sack of Panama was the last major action of the Buccaneers. Piracy continued, of course, and was to become a menace to trade in the West Indies. But the pirates that followed Morgan were more freelance pirates and didn't discriminate on who their victims would be, and they rarely carried any commissions authorizing such acts of piracy. So, a full disclosure, the reason I decided to do an episode on pirates was because I just recently watched the show Black Sails on Stars. Have you guys seen that show? I've been wanting to. I've never seen it on my side. It was, it was, it's really good. I liked it. Um, but I was totally enthralled in just the overall mystique and history of the pirates. Um, I had to know what was based in fact and what was just Hollywood fabrication. So I hopped on our overlord, Jeff Bezos website and searched out a book that would do just that. So separate the line between fact and bullshit. That is where I came across David Cordingley's book entitled Under the Black Flag. And if you want a really good comprehensive look into the lives and deaths of the pirates, I highly recommend it. This book is basically where I conducted most of my research on the pirate topic because I never knew. I'd, I'd heard of Sir Francis Drake and I think I've heard of Sir Henry Morgan, but I never like, you know, the name rang a bell, but like I didn't right, know anything right. about him. I think I heard Morgan, um, but that was it, really, in the in the pirate terminology. I mean, I, I don't know any other. Blackbeard, maybe, right? Yeah. Did he I mean, exist? I feel like everybody knows uh, knows Blackbeard. Yeah. But, yeah, in the show Black Sails, they had all the usual suspects. Captain Edward Teach, also known as, you just mentioned it, Shane, Blackbeard. Mm-hmm. Captain Charles Vane, Long John Silver, Woods Rogers, and so on. Um, and we're going to get into some of them later, but one of the characters in the show that stood out to me, she was a fierce and fearless pirate by the name Anne Bonnie, and she was portrayed as Jack Rackham's girlfriend and co-conspirator. As I watched the show, I just wondered if this Hollywood interpretation had any fact in reality, and to my surprise, there actually was some truth to it. Obviously exaggerated, but there's a, there's some sprinkles in there of truth nonetheless. Yeah, I'm sure, actually. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of amazing with um, – I've been wanting to see Black Sails. I haven't. You know, again, we talk about the lore and, and the, the whole idea, the mythos of pirates, which really wasn't a mythos. I mean, these guys wreaked havoc on the seas forever. And I guess nowadays there's still a – there's pirates of sorts. They're just not anywhere to where this is. I mean, we don't even – it's a completely different reference and frame of mind nowadays, you know. So – but um, yeah. before we continue with our stories real quick, uh, unless you guys have something real quick, uh, we're going to go take another commercial break, and we will return with another famous pirate that Josh is going to cover for us. Stand by. What up, Farnockers? Aries! Stop insulting people. These are potential listeners. Yeah, I'm so sure. 
Happy Horror Coffee Break Old Time Horror Radio Show. We take the best and worst <laughs> creepypasta stories online and our finest of quality reenactors perform them for you in the style of old-timey horror radio dramas. Everyone knows it's just you disguising your voice poorly. No, it's not. Besides, we have an abundance of great guests. There's music and t-shirts. And a bunch of dick and fart jokes. You're not wrong. <laughs> Catch us at all the major podcasts, thingamawarpers. We're on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Schlapstick, Hard Knockers, and the rest. Idiot. Tune in every other Friday. There's a new episode. Or just stick your head in an oven. Same difference. Aries. <laughs> we need to have a little chat. <laughs> Toodles. The fourth hand joint. Jack Rackham's real name was John Rackham, a.k.a. Calico Jack, because of his bright and vibrant color choices of wardrobe. Calico Jack was the quartermaster under Captain Charles Vane until Jack disagreed with Captain Vane over deciding not to attack a French frigate. The crew sided with Calico Jack, Calico Jack and labeled Vance a coward and elected Jack captain. Soon after that... The decision to change captains, the crew proceeded to plunder a succession of small vessels in the seas around Jamaica. Captain Jack was pretty small time, though, uh, when compared to other famous captains of the time, such as Bartholomew Roberts, Blackbeard, who commanded 40-gun warships and would sail into battle with a plethora of other vessels. Captain Jack tried to keep his attacks to small fishing boats and local trading vessels. His claim to fame wasn't really his great skill as a pirate captain, though. It was his association with Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, two fearless pirate women. Anne Bonny met Calico Jack while on the island of Providence. Jack was enamored with Anne and quickly and decisively convinced her to leave her sailor husband and join him. Anne became pregnant not long after and had formed and was shipped off to Cuba to carry out her pregnancy under the protection of Jack's men. After Anne had successfully given birth and was healed up, she left to rejoin Calico Jack soon thereafter. John, Calico Jack Rackham, and Anne Bonny began their brief stint in the act of piracy. So now we get, and this is something I never even knew, was who thought of woman sailors or pirates? You know, I mean, that's a whole nother thing that you wouldn't even think would would be a thing. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd think it was just totally misogynistic back then and they wouldn't allow it. I mean, and on one of those articles that we read, they said that they wouldn't allow children or women on board a ship. Yep. Yep. So, I think, Hey, if you're badass, I guess you're badass, right? I right. change your yeah, a little bit. They, and um, we'll get into it, but they were pretty, pretty big hard asses, even up to the end. Like when, <clears throat> when they were in some hairy situations, like their crew was just like backing down. They were just like, like swearing and like fucking let's do this like there's like actual accounts of witnesses saying that those two ladies were just nuts oh so, really that's great yeah. as well cool. you know not not gonna say anything about that but that it is what it is <laughs> so anyway um while on board one of captain calico's jack ships and soon became infatuated with another sailor she made the decision to confront the sailor and expose herself to him and reveal her true identity very much to Anne's surprise, she had fallen for another woman. And now we add lesbianism to it. Yeah, I mean, how random. It, the thing with uh, Anne Bonny 
and Mary Reed, like, they're almost like two kindred souls. Like, they had very similar upbringings, or, like, not necessarily upbringings, but, like, their stories are so much the same. And just two women happen to end up on the same pirate ship. Like, right, right. What, are the, what are the odds of that, you know? Yeah. Out, out of all the ships in the sea, you had to land on mine. Mm. Yeah, just amazing. So, upon Anne revealing who she really was, Mary Reed thought this was probably an appropriate time to do the same. The two women made the decision to inform Rackham of what they both had learned to avoid any other confusion that might arise from the matter. Very little is known about Mary Reed's formative years. What little we do know is thanks to Captain Johnson's book, A General History of the Pirates, which we kind of briefly mentioned before. Uh, we know Mary was born in England as the second child to a mother whose husband left for sea and never came back. And I'm sure that was super common, common back then. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Following her husband's disappearance, Mary's mother had a child out of wedlock and fled to the countryside to give birth to the baby. The family soon ran out of money, though. Since Mary had an older brother who died before she was born, her mother decided she would dress her up as a boy and ask her mother-in-law for some financial support in raising the quote-unquote boy. The mother-in-law agreed. So Mary Reed was raised as a boy, and by the age of 13, she got a job as a young servant to a well-to-do French woman. She tired of the mundane life she was living, and being the bold, strong, and fearless woman she was, she entered on board a man of war. She then enlisted as a cadet in the army. Mary proved herself to be a very brave in several military engagements, but she soon fell in love with another soldier. When the campaign was over, the two lovers left the army and set up a public house called the Three Horseshoes. Her husband passed away suddenly and prematurely, leaving Mary alone to attend to a failing public house. Mary decided to find fortune elsewhere, so she again disguised herself as a man, found a ship to board, and set sail for the West Indies. Anne Bonnie was also raised up to be a boy. She was born near Cork, Ireland, and was the bastard daughter to a lawyer. Her father separated from his wife after she had learned of the affair he was having with the maid of the household. You know, typical. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> the wife was so enraged that she accused the maid of stealing her silver spoons and had her sent to prison. I mean, damn, that's that's some revenge. Oh, yeah. Got to be yeah. some good spoons. <laughs> Anne's father adored her, though, and made her come live with him. Uh, her father made her dress up as a boy because he was going to use the cover that he was training the little boy to be a law clerk. Uh, his wife was no dummy, though, and caught on quickly to the scheme. She wasn't shy about letting the townsfolk in on their family drama either. Anne's father's practice was suffering from the scandal, and he decided the best course of action would be to take Anne and her mother, the maid, to the Carolinas for a fresh start on life. He made enough money as a merchant to buy a plantation, but Anne would soon disappoint her father immensely by uh, falling for a penniless sailor named Bonnie. Anne's father kicked her out of the house, and she soon fled with her new husband to the island of Providence, where misfortune would have it, she ended up meeting Calico Jack. Calico Jack. You know, just when you think you have drama nowadays, the shit was happening back in yeah. the, You know what I mean? Well, and you know uh, what? Like, I feel like that is what you're going to kick your daughter out for. Like, you, like, you leave Ireland, you sail across an entire ocean, you, yeah, you know, yeah. you shack up with the maid and then you don't like your your daughter's boyfriend so you're just like nope 
you leave now. I never want to see you ever again. Yeah. Dude also bought a plantation in the Carolinas, which probably also meant slaves. So fuck him. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, yeah. Yeah, f- yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, I guess it was the time too. It's like, I'm your father. I don't know. I guess that's kind of same with today's times. Probably <laughs> considered the sailor a gold digger or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, probably. Yeah. And in, in comparative to, yeah, I, it just amazes me. I just, you read through this thing and it's like, oh, this is a, this is a book. This nobody lives a story in this life. Eh, mm-hmm. Here it is. It's right here written crazy. So, um, and Mary and Calico Jack would soon make a name for themselves after plundering small fishing and merchant vessels in the West Indies. In 1720, the trio stole a sloop called William that was anchored in the Harbor of Nassau. The governor had no doubt in his mind who the culprits were after hearing descriptions given by the witnesses. On September 5th, the governor issued a pro- proclamation which set out the details of the sloop along with the names of Rackham and his associates. The list included two women, by name, and fourfold alias Bonnie and Mary Reed. The proclamation declared that they said John Rackham and his company are hereby proclaimed pirates and enemies to the crown of Great Britain, and are to be so treated and deemed by all his majesty's subjects. Calico Jack must have gotten word that the hunt was on for him and his crew. Sailing south, he attacked merchant ships and fishing vessels that had the unfortunate lack of crossing paths with the pirates. His luck was about to run out, though. After nearly over a month of brazen piracy, he crossed paths with a heavily armed privateer sloop commanded by Captain Jonathan Barnett, with a commission from the governor of Jamaica to take pirates. After hearing a shot from Rackham's sloop, Captain Barnett gave chase. The privateer came upon Rackham's vessel around 10 at night and fired a volley of small shot, disabling the fleeing sloop. Once Barnett saw that the sloop was disabled, he came alongside and prepared his men to board the pirate sloop. Captain Barnett's men saw no resistance from the crew, aside from Anne Bonney and Murray Reed, who were shouting and swore at everyone in sight because, yeah. you know, they're classy. So, you know. Mm-hmm. The two crazed women were armed with pistols and cutlasses, but failed to inspire their shipmates, who were too cowardly to fight, and surrendered almost immediately. The next morning, the pirates were put ashore at Davis's Cove, a tiny inlet halfway between Negrel and Lucia. They were delivered to Major Richard James, a militia officer, who assembled a guard and escorted them across the island to a Spanish town jail. On November 16th, Calico Jack and the 10 male members of his crew were tried for piracy. About a week later, on November 28th, the Admiralty Court assembled again for the two female members of the crew. All the male members of the crew pleaded not guilty, including the pirate Calico Jack, which, okay, good call, guy. That proved sure. to be, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to say, you know what, I, I've, done, I, I've done some shit. So y- yeah. you got me, you know, here we are. That proved to be futile, though, with eyewitness testimony of the crew's blatant acts of piracy. The court found all the men guilty, and they were all subsequently hanged by the neck until dead. Calico Jack's body was put into an iron cage and hung for a giblet on Dead Man's Cay, a small island within sight of Port Royal, which is today called Rackham's Cay. Which, ah, history, there you go. Next up was the ladies' turn to be tried. They even had a few more eyewitnesses that testified to their brutalness and savagery. One witness that was on board a canoe on the north coast of Jamaica when she was attacked by the pirate sloop testified that. 
The two women, prisoners at the bar, were then on board the said sloop and wore men's jackets and long trousers and handkerchiefs tied about their heads, and that each of them had a matchet and pistol in their hands, and cursed and swore at the men to murder the deponent, and that they should kill her to prevent her coming against them. And the deponent further said that the reason of her knowing and believing them to be women were because... The size of their breasts. Of course. <laughs> Why not? Them titties. Obviously. Yeah. I saw the titties. I didn't know what to do. Uh, and Bonnie and Mary Reed were subsequently found guilty. Wait a second. Pun- Those aren't men. <laughs> <laughs> and the punishment Sorry. was death by hanging. Oh, man. That's that's uh, too bad. Uh, both women had a trump card. And after the verdicts were read, they told the court that they were pregnant. Tests were done, and indeed it was true. Both women were with child. They were reprieved and sent to prison. Shortly thereafter, Mary contracted a fever and died in prison. The parish register for the District of St. Catherine in Jamaica records her burial on April 28, 1721. It is not known for certain what happened to Anne Bonney or her child. Anne and Mary never acquired the notoriety of Henry Morgan, Captain Kidd, or Blackbeard, but they have attracted more attention than some of the most formidable pirate captains of history. This is partly due to the fact that Captain Johnson's book, A General History of Pirates, and that they were the only women pirates of the great age of piracy that we know anything about. Yeah, I wouldn't want to cross paths with them. I can just imagine that witness at the bar, though, like she's got her tiny little spectacles on and she's like kind of like, you know, witnessing this attack or whatever. And she's like, huh? Like, <laughs> taking the spectacles off and cleaning them off and like putting them back on. But like, yep, those are titties. It's one of those. And I parted the bushes and the bo- I was in the boat and I saw the mountain and there they were. It was a pair of red headed, double breasted mattress thrashers. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so pirates were a fearsome bunch of men. They were cutthroats, and it seemed like a large number of them had little, if any, respect for human life. A great many times, merchant ships would see a horde of pirates heading their way, and the captain and his men would immediately surrender. And this was usually a good idea. If you tried to put up a fight or you tried to outmaneuver the pirates and they ended up boarding your vessel, you were as good as dead. You would pray for and welcome a quick death because the alternative could be an unimaginable way to meet your mate contrary to popular culture there isn't any real evidence that supports the idea that the pirates make their foes walk the plank which i was surprised to learn i don't know it seemed like that yeah that had some hmm. seems like it makes sense but You're instead childhood you know instead they had far more sadistic ways of leading men to their deaths and i assure you that the pirates never lacked creativity when it came to torture so we got a guy, Edward North. He was commander of the sloops William and Martha, and he was just one amongst many of the unfortunate souls to cross paths with Captain Charles Vane. He recalled in a letter to Governor Bennett that his ship had been attacked by Vane and his men off Rum Key. Within three hours, Vane boarded his ship and violently beat him and his crew, then dragged one of his men to the bows and bound his hands and feet to the bowsprit, which is a heavy spar pointing forward from the stern or front of the vessel. And as the man lay there helpless, the pirates began to put burning matches on his eyes and shoved a loaded pistol in his mouth so he would, quote-unquote, oblige the men and tell them how much money was on board. I would say Edward North got off easy, though, because he lived to tell the tale, unlike some of his other brothers of the sea. 
Another captain upset the pirate Edward Lowe by hanging $11,000 worth of gold in the pouch out of the cabin window. Once the pirates boarded the ship, the captain cut the rope holding the money, watching it fall right into the sea. And that infuriated those guys. Could you imagine? Immensely. (laughs) So, yeah, the pirates repaid the favor by cutting his lips off and broiled them right in front of his face. Afterwards, they murdered the rest of the 32 men in his crew. Uh, among other methods of torture, could you imagine getting your lips chopped off and then just broiled right in front of you? No, that sounds awful. Like, oh, uh, Jesus, dude. that just sounds awful. Like, oh, man. But uh, yeah, so other methods of torture the pirates like to use. One was to stretch the limbs with cords and at the same time beat them with sticks and other instruments. Others had burning sticks placed between their fingers, which ended up ended in them burning alive. They also performed a torture referred to as wolding, and it's where they would put slender cords or matches on the victim's head and begin twisting until their uh. eyes burst out of their heads. And one of the wow. most cruel tortures of them all was devised by Montbars of Languedoc. He would cut open the stomach of his victim, extract one end of his guts, nail it to a post, and then force the poor man to dance to his death by beating his backside with a burning log. I'm glad so, I already ate. That's can you just awful. Like just the depravity of some of these guys, like just enjoying that, you know? Like well, this whole this wolding thing, it's it's I can't oh. Could you imagine how eyeballs burst long, out of their heads? Yeah, that would take so long, and that would just—it's got to be one of the worst ways to go. Uh, yeah, I well, you know, I mean, just imagine that pressure. Just—it's not just, on my bucket just, list. So yeah, you know, just gradually, that. gradually, until your your head just can't take it anymore, and your eyes just pop out of your sockets. What about keel hauling too? Like fucking where they like tie ropes to your arms and legs and like lower you into the water in front of the boat and basically drag you under the boat mm-hmm. so the barnacles like rip your flesh off like rip you up on the back like and then they pull you back up and do it again yeah and i think Sometimes. most pe- most people that that keel hauling happened they never survived one one round like usually when they'd pop up after that first round they were they were dead gone yeah i don't yeah, see because i mean your body's just getting shredded on some boat like plus drowning and all that. Like they usually didn't go for a round two, I don't think. And that wow. sounds just awful. Especially like, you know, you got, you're in seawater too. So all those scratches and everything are just burning. Yep. Soaking right into everything. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, they are pirates. I mean, you know, yeah. So this kind of goes against the, uh, Peter Pan, Captain hook pirates, you know? <laughs> yeah. You didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah this kind of is ruining a... everybody's childhood of a lovable pirate. Yeah. This is not Jack Sparrow. That's let's just, uh, yeah, let's, no. let's clarify. So anyway, yeah. but what's kind of cool about it, um, you know, not all the pirates torturing methods were violent. A uh, very popular method of pretty much fucking someone over was called marooning. Pirates oh, would man. usually maroon members of the crew that broke the sworn articles. Marooning is the act of putting a person on an uninhabited island in the middle of nowhere with a bottle of water and maybe a knife. Uh, maybe, you know, if we maybe. have one you know, lying around. The... Yeah. So. Here's a knife, fucking loser. Good luck. <laughs> you did have a chance to survive, but the chances were very slim. 
One of the most famous marooning stories is that of Alexander Selkirk. He was a prototype for Daniel Defoe's classic novel, Robinson Crusoe. Oh, I, I heard about this. This is cool. I'm glad you put this in here. Um, yeah. Alistair Selkirk was a Scottish seaman. He sailed with the buccaneer William Dampier on a privateering expedition to the South Seas. The two ships, St. George and St. Ports, left England in 1703, and by February of the following year, they had rounded Cape Horn and were sailing off the coast of Chile. After multiple unsatisfactory operations, the two ships parted ways. Captain Stranley took over St. Ports with Alexander Selkirk as sailing master. The ship was on course for the island of Juan Fernandez to careen and refit. They dropped anchor off Masateria, the largest of the island, and the site to the accidental and intentional maroonings over the years. Captain Strandling was an unpopular commander. He and Selkirk did not see eye to eye, and Selkirk let him know. When the order was given to set sail, Selkirk disagreed and thought the ship was not ready. He said he would not set foot on an unseaworthy vessel. He demanded he be left on the island, and the captain obliged. It was the beginning of October 1704. Selkirk would remain alone on that island until February 2nd, 1709. Jesus. When, yeah, a, when a privateering expedition commanded by Captain Woods Rogers dropped anchor in the bay, the men who went ashore discovered a man clothed in goat skins who looked wilder than the first owners of them. <laughs> he didn't even have he didn't even have a volleyball. No, there's no I Wilson mean, anywhere. Yeah, so. zero Wilson anywhere on that island. Oh, Jesus. Thank God there's goats though. There's that. Thank God. So yeah. yeah. Well, I don't even want to think of. I don't know what he with did with the goat. I mean, I before he killed the goat, I, you know, yeah. desperate times. Yeah. I guess I guess we can leave that up to the listener's imagination. Yeah, yeah. Imagine all the people <laughs> and the goats. William Dampier happened to recognize Silkirk and vouched to Woods Rogers that he was an excellent seaman. Rogers agreed to the point the castaway as mate of a ship, the Duke. They set sail on February 12th, and after taking a number of prizes, they made their way back to England. When Selkirk eventually landed in England on October 14, 1711, he had been away from his home for more than eight years. When he was first Crazy. marooned, he had with him his clothes and bedding, with a fire lock, some powder, bullets, tobacco, a hatchet, a knife, a kettle, a Bible, some mathematical instruments, and books which is the most random group of shit that I've ever read in my life to be marooned on an island with. But that's just me. Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier that what brought Alexander Selkirk to the island of Juan Fernandez in the first place was because they needed to careen their ship. Careening is the act of beaching a vessel and then hoisting it on its side in order to clean the bottom of the ship of any seaweed and barnacles that became attached to, their, to this during the voyage. They also needed to replace any of the wooden slats that might be damaged. The purpose for creating a ship was so that it could move better and faster in the water. This is why it was important to have a carpenter on board your ship. This would be a skill that could save your life if you ever found yourself under siege by the pirates. He was thought to be one of the most valued members of the crew, and it was almost certain that the carpenter would take in aboard the pirate ship and made to join them by signing the articles. Man, I'm glad I know how to do stuff. Yeah, I mean, you didn't really have a choice. Like, you either... Mm join the pirates or you were murdered possibly heinously murdered i mean yeah. i guess all murder is heinous but yeah but yeah like, so you're like well not in a fun way yeah you're like well fuck i guess i will join the pirates and eventually probably be hanged in the next year or two just make <laughs> i'll make the best out of it sick. while i'm here <laughs> this is sick hell yeah yeah anyway like 
like clerks. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. But I mean, it'd give them another year or two to live. But they were they courts back then were gnarly too. Like they didn't they didn't ha- they were just like, nope, pirate, you're dead. Dead, 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 dead. Like, yeah, yeah. That's what uh it's just amazing. And could you imagine going through like do you think that's the worst the court saw? I mean, I would imagine it was, right? Mm. The worst that, like back in the day, like pirates were the worst that they Yeah, like whatever pirates came, you know, up on as far as a, a charge or conviction, would there be something worse than that? Other than like maybe your murders, your whatever. But I mean, that's what the pirates are doing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, guess I probably- mean, if you wanted to be free and like tried to have a revolution and lost, like you'd get the William Wallace treatment, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Touche. Yeah. So. But I think piracy was like one of like the highest crimes back in the day for sure. Like, yeah, it was, it was definitely up there in like the worst crimes. Yeah. Or the harshest punished crimes. Like you're not, if you get caught for piracy, you're, you're just dead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like, think that. Yeah. There's no way, there's no way out of that at all. I don't think that, uh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, well, speaking of crimes, um, we're going to commit a crime and make you guys listen to another commercial. We will be back. Stand by. Elijah, are you ready to bring on the weird? Yes. Will I am. Are you ready to bring on the weird? Did you, did you just make a will I am joke? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> nice. I'll allow it. Anyway, we're just a couple of harmless guys digging into weird things we don't know much about. We're just trying to figure out what the hell is happening in the world outside our homes. Do we get things wrong? Without a doubt. Are we learning from those mistakes? Not anytime soon. Are you entertained by the crap we're talking about? Of course. That's why I always listen to the show. You listen? All right, what, what do you like to listen to about the show? I like aliens, conspiracies, cryptids, NWO, shadow government, you name it. What? But, oh, hold on. Do the aliens come from inside the Earth instead of interstellar travel? What made the conspiracy start? Why did that cryptid evolve to do the things it does? Who runs this NWO? Listen in as we dive into all manners of subjects as we bring on the weird. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. You can listen to clips of our episodes on our YouTube channel. Listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. I feel like we would be doing an injustice to you, the listener if we didn't talk about one of the most infamous pirates of them all. His name was Captain Edward Teach, but most of you know him by another name. Blackbeard. 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 Yarr. Blackbeard. That's three. (laughs) What? That's three. Three R's. Yeah. Blackbeard. We can't do a pirate episode without throwing a few R's in there. Right. Pardon, Blackbeard was by no means the most successful pirate. But with his brutality, he made a name for himself in the pages of history and lore. Captain Blackbeard was described by the men that happened to encounter him as a tall, ferocious man with a thick black beard that went up to his eyeballs and hung even lower. He would often braid his beard and put black ribbons in it and shape it to curl upwards. Um, Sounds like some people I know. (laughs) Um, during times of battle he would don a sling with three pistols in holsters like bandoliers and possibly uh, to some imagination he would stick lit matches under his hat 
bringing attention to the dark and fierce features of his face. Blackbeard operated mostly in the West Indies and off the southern coast of the American colonies, but he found refuge in the pirate haven of Nassau when he wasn't at sea, keeping company with the likes of Captain Hornigold, Charles Vane, John Martell, among a host of other men. He led a squadron of three and sometimes four ships, the most famous of those ships being Queen Anne's Revenge, uh, which was a captured French slave ship called La Concorde before Blackbeard renamed once, renamed once the ship was under his command. He fashioned the Queen Anne's Revenge with 40 guns and she had a crew of over 300. The ship was insurmountable to the successful raid of Charleston, South Carolina. Perhaps one of his most famous raids amongst the plethora he committed in his short run of piracy. The pirate crew amassed loads of riches in the raid, but being the man Blackbeard was, he wanted it all for himself. He disbanded his fleet and ran two of his vessels aground while escaping in the sloop used as a, as a tender to his warship Queen Anne's Revenge. He then took the remaining 17 members of his crew and marooned them, quote, on a small sandy island about a league from the main where there was neither bird beast or herb for their sustenance end quote <laughs> that is probably the biggest dick move i've ever heard of <laughs> like hey come commit violent crime with me um by the way i'm keeping everything and gonna leave you to die because i don't think you can swim a week yeah bye felicia <laughs> yeah right jesus yeah that's that's uh you that's know fucked up shit it is way fucked up imagine Man, you'd be so bummed. You're like, but Blackbeard, baby, I just, I just helped you. Come on. Just, I don't want a lot of it. Just a little, at least don't leave me on this fucking island. As he lights two matches, puts underneath this thing. It's like, (laughs) nope. Yeah. It's like, I hope you burn your beard off, you (laughs) son of a bitch. (laughs) Um, But the reign of Blackbeard was cut short due to the tenacity of one Lieutenant Maynard. Lieutenant Maynard was appointed to lead an expedition to extirpate this nest of vipers. He was an experienced officer and was described as a gentleman of great bravery and resolution. Word was passed along to the lieutenant from passing vessels that Blackbeard and his sloop was anchored on the inner side of Ocracoke Island, facing the sheltered waters of the Pamlico Sound in North Carolina. It was an ideal refuge for the numerous shoals and sandbags in the area. During the early morning hours of November 22nd, Maynard and his crew slowly made their way to where Blackbeard and his small crew were anchored. With very little wind, Lieutenant Maynard ordered some of his men to approach the pirate vessel in two smaller boats. Upon their approach, they were greeted by a healthy dose of gunshot and they quickly retreated back to Maynard's sloop. And I don't know if we've addressed this. I've, I wrote Sloop a bunch in here because that's kind of how they refer to just their their pirate ship. It's kind of just a smaller pirate ship. It's not a Man of War, which a Man of War is like a giant, right? You know, yeah, Man of War is the one with all the yeah, all the cannons yeah. off the side type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sloop's a smaller type of ship. Yeah, exactly. So if anybody was like, "What the fuck is a Sloop?" That's what it is. So having the alarm raised, a hungover Blackbeard cut the anchor cord and began his escape. Maynard quickly followed in pursuit in his sloop dubbed Jane. Jane finally caught up to Blackbeard's ship, the Adventure, and shot away her jib and four halyards, forcing her ashore. As the Jane came alongside the Adventure, Blackbeard took his guns and killed most of the enemy crew. 
He then made the bold decision to board the chain and face Lieutenant Maynard man-to-man. The most complete account of what happens next appeared in the Boston Newsletter. Maynard and Teach themselves began the fight with their swords. Maynard making a thrust, the point of a sword went against Teach's cartridge box and bended it to the hilt. Teach broke the guard of it and wounded Maynard's fingers but did not disable him, whereupon he jumped back and threw away his sword and fired his pistol, which wounded Teach. DeMelt struck in between them with his sword and cut Teach's face pretty much. In the interim, both companies engaged in Maynard's sloop. One of Maynard's men, being a Highlander, engaged Teaching, saying, Well done, lad. The Highlander replied, If it be not well done, I'll do it better. With that, he gave a second stroke, which cut off his head, laying it flat on his shoulder. That's badass. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wow. So, according to Maynard, Blackbeard fell with five shot in him and 20 dismal cuts in several parts of his body. And local legend even has it that once Blackbeard's headless body was thrown overboard, the corpse made several laps around the ship. That's a... Jesus Christ. That's a resilient (laughs) guy right there. Really didn't want to go away, did he? (laughs) (laughs) You can't stop me. So Maynard kept Blackbeard's head as a trophy and propped it on his bowsprit for so everyone could see and take warning not to follow in Blackbeard's footsteps. Blackbeard's reign was short-lived and lasted only from 1716 to his death in 1718. During those years, he wasted no time in sacking ships and making a name for himself as being an unforgiving and ruthless pirate. He was by no means the most successful pirate, but with his brutality, he made a name for himself in the pages of history and lore. Numerous plays and movies have been inspired by his legend, and the quintessential pirate is modeled in his image. He was one of the last great pirates in the Golden Age of Piracy. The Golden Age of Piracy lasted from 1700 to the early 1720s. It has been estimated that there were between 1,500 and 2,000 pirates operating around this time, and given the size of pirate crews, that leads us to believe that there were roughly 15 to 25 pirate ships operating in the Caribbean and the east coast of North America. There were a series of measures taken during this time period to curb piracy and practically eliminate its practice. Surprisingly, they proved to be extremely effective and the age of piracy collapsed quite suddenly. From the peak of 2,000 pirates in 1720, the numbers dropped to around 1,000 in 1723, and by 1726 there were no more than 200. The incidence of pirate attacks declined from between 40 and 50 in 1718 to half a dozen in 1726. The powers that be tackled piracy in a number of ways. They introduced legislation, They offered pardons to pirates that vowed to abandon their lives of crime. They also stepped up naval patrols in the worst affected areas, also promising rewards for capturing pirates. And licensing private ships to attack and capture pirates who would later be brought to trial and executed. Some of these methods were more effective than others, but altogether they eliminated piracy as a serious threat to trade in the Atlantic and the Caribbean. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that uh, it seemed like there would be a lot more pirates. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but when I read that, yeah. there was like roughly around two thousand in the Caribbean. There were other pirates, like in China and around Africa, but just in like kind of our region of the world, I was pretty surprised by that. I'm surprised on the ti- on the timeline that that it just it dropped off. That I, I mean, but, you know, you put laws in place. I mean, that makes sense. But at the same time, I I pictured 
you know, three, 400 years of, of piracy happening and not just this grandiose days of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, piracy did, I mean, kind of, we covered before it's always been there, mm-hmm. but it's yeah, still there. yeah, it's still there to this day, but yeah, those, the early 1700s was kind of, well, they call it the golden age. Yeah. For yeah. A that's that's yeah. the period that we romanticize because that's the part that's most relevant to our European culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and to us, the reality of the pirate's way of life is even more fascinating than any of the mythos that surround these brutish men, and in some cases, women. It's not hard to see why the legend of the pirates live on. While I would never want to cross paths or share a cabin with any of these swashbuckling maniacs in real life, the stories of their quest for doubloons and bloodshed will live on forever in the hearts and imagination of millions. And... You know, we're going to wrap it up with that. That's uh, that's pirates. And that's pretty yeah, amazing. Th- I got to yeah. say, that's really, that's cool. You weaved a very good swashbuckling tale there, young John. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I apologize that it wasn't um, paranormal or ghostly or any, you know, interdimensional. But uh, I just, man, I, when I read that book, I was just like so fascinated by it. And I mean, it's just real history. And oh man, interdimensional pirates, that would be fucking rad. Dang. What if that Bigfoot cool. was a pirate? <laughs> what if um, that's what's going on? I think I kept, we've solved the case. I kept <laughs> wanting to bring this up throughout the whole thing, but I, I kept like not finding a good spot to jump in with it. But do you guys know like the entomological entomological history of Buccaneer? Um, like, I don't even know what entomological word, means. Where the word comes from um yes but regale us oh it's just like uh so there was uh if i remember it right there was a tribe of indians that used like um these barbecues on the beach to cook and Mm. when french sailors showed up um they asked them their word for it was uh which is like barbecue and then uh the indians started calling them buccaneers because they were like just from like the the two peoples not understanding the words and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're barbecues. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They're they're just, you know, just a bunch of barbecuers. Yeah. <laughs> hey, next time we get together, let's uh, you know, we'll be buccaneers. Let's be Kanye. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's basically like all the drunk uh uncles that come to your barbecues, you know? And just like insult your wife and yell at your kids, you know. Eat your food. Hey, I'm not here to make wave. friends, man. <laughs> I got a short amount of time before I get fucked up that I'm out of here. So yeah. give me some time. <laughs> well, I'm not talking about us uncles, but you know, others. <laughs> no, I know. Um, awesome yeah. dude. That, yeah. Hell yeah. That's cool. And then I think we talked about um, doing maybe a factor bullshit for bonus episode for Patreon. Is that still on the cards or what? Um, yeah, it definitely is on the cards. Um, if if you guys want to, we can do a factor bullshit. Um, I think we should. I yeah, think so. we should also tell our listeners where they can find this fun game we like to play called Factor Bullshit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, if you want to come join us and be entertained with our dickheadery, um, we have a lot more bonus content that goes up on Patreon. Uh, we're at patreon.com slash strangeuncles. Um, we we put up the video of the zoom call for almost every episode there. Um, 
we only do some of it on the YouTube channel. So if you like looking at us be idiots, then that's where to do it. Um, we also have bonus episodes, uh, just bo- like random bonus content in general. It's it's pretty fun. So come on over. Yeah. Come on down. We can call you a stranger. That's what we call everybody out there. Yeah, you're um, going to be so lucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, in a <laughs> very not, exclusive community. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's okay. It's it's getting larger. So um, another thing, too, is keep in mind, number one, to follow us on social media platforms. Um, we're out there. One thing, too, we're always looking for, and we've had some people that write in to call in. Um, if you have a story, you have a tale to tell, you have something going on, on your side that you want us to share, by all means, please, you can call us at 801-252-69. Matey! I knew it was going to be a pirate nomenclature. <laughs> 6945. Again, 801-252-6945. And you can Arr. call us and <laughs> tell us your story. <laughs> and then uh, email, too, if you're too shy to talk to us on the phone. You can email us at strangejungles at gmail.com. Um, even if it's something you know or a story that you have or a topic that you want to cover. I know that we do have a Patreon member who had asked for the Phoenix Lights, and we will give that to you. I'm actually in the write-up, and John and Josh will help too on that. And uh, very interesting for those of you who know the 1997 weirdness that occurred amongst everything else. I mean, so we have things on the plate, but uh, you know, we can always use suggestions by all means. So. Anybody have anything else before I walk the plank? Mm. Which evidently wasn't a thing. Yeah, it's not even a it's not even yeah. a thing. I think there was like maybe one case, I think maybe there was or something, but yeah. The guy it probably got like halfway down the board. It's like, come on, guys. Well, I feel like I'm walking the this. plank. I feel like walking the plank was just too easy for him. They're like, no, dude, I just really want to squeeze this guy's head until his eyeballs pop out. Like walking the plank, there's no sadistic satisfaction. That's yeah, too he's easy. Just, yeah. He's only drowning. He's only drrowning. How boring is that? They don't have TV. They don't have Netflix. They need to entertain themselves at least. What if we stick the plank up his ass, then kick him off the ship? I mean, they should have stuck the plank up float. his ass, lit it on fire, and then <laughs> yeah, tossed right. him overboard. Yeah, George, you got an idea there. Let's see if we can't pursue <laughs> that. Yeah. So I don't know why Pyre's named George, but it'd be funny. But anyway. I'm sure there was. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just want to thank all the listeners uh, for listening to this episode and you know we'll be back to the paranormal and all the weird um next week yeah and if you didn't think this was fun then i mean i guess you're entitled to your opinion but it's you are entitled to your opinion you are but fuck off yeah i mean i only worked really hard on it so whatever (laughs) yeah right (laughs) as you drag your feet in the sand out of there i had fun too thanks for letting me do it guys it was awesome i thought it was cool so, well, uh, unless you guys got something else going on, uh, a little bit long episode, we're going to close the gates and hopefully this was a little bit of fun pirate happiness in your, you know, day-to-day lives that we're experiencing nowadays. So, you know, enjoy guys. Yep. Close the gates. Close them. You've been listening to a fourth hand production. <laughs>